everybody? Hey, you're all keen for more, are you? Wouldn't it be amazing if the Holy Spirit fell in this place and just busted you and renewed you and filled you? And Are you praying for that? Are you hoping for that? Like Trevor was saying, you know, he, he wants to hit you in about three areas, especially the inward journey. But then once you're perfect with no flaws left, <laughs> no, he doesn't wait till then. He just takes you as you are and starts loving your life. But then get, get you going on that upward journey of learning to worship him and love him. And uh, then take that message out to your friends and your family and, and tell them about the God of love who's got a tremendous plan for their life and how it fits into the bigger picture. Because, you know, life is not really all about this life. It's about what's coming. Did you know that? Now, this life's important. It's, it's kind of like a little analogy uh, when a couple are pregnant with, with a child, that, that child has a life inside the womb. But we're all looking forward to the time when it's born and it begins to live its life on earth, right? But the life in the womb is important. Well, here we are now on earth. It's a bit like being in the womb. It's getting you ready for the big event when you're birthed into the eternal kingdom. And uh, that's the big deal. That's what's on the heart of Jesus. He can hardly wait, right? I hope you're excited about that. It's amazing to me how people give so, so little thought about to where they're going. If you were going on a vacation to somewhere brand new, I don't know, somewhere nice, like, I don't know, is there anyone here never been to Hawaii? Okay, so supposing in three months' time, you've got a trip to Hawaii. How many think you'd want to know, know something about it? I wonder what it's like there. What's the temperature? What are the beaches like? What are the people like? What is the drive like? What is the terrain like? I mean, you'd, you'd get online and you'd learn about it, wouldn't you? But when it comes to people saying, uh, what about when you leave this earth and go on to next? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I mean, people will talk to you about everything right up until they want. They plan the retirement. They're all set. They know what they're doing, this and that. But what happens when you die? <sighs> Look how quiet we got. You know? <laughs> Nobody talks about that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Jesus raised a guy that was dead for four days. And we don't know what he experienced. But it would have been really interesting to talk to Lazarus, wouldn't it? Hey, man, you were there for four days. What was it like? <laughs> it's, uh, I'm sure he said, it's just beyond description. And so I want you to think about that a little bit today because we are racing towards end times. So let's suppose there's a timeline. How long do you want to live? How long is your line? 
How many want to live to be 100? That's my girl. My, my girl said to me, and Lori said to me, Dad, you're going to live to be 100. I said, I don't want to live to be 100. Have you seen 100-year-old people? <laughs> kind of going on. <laughs> Those that make it are really pretty feeble, most of them. I mean, there's the odd exception. Good. But I think, you know, generally, if you, if you make it to 80 or so, you're going pretty good. So let's just say 80. So if you get 80 years, where are you on the timeline? I'm 77 now. That would give me like three more years and a bit. And see, going to heaven is a promotion. It's hard for those that miss you, but it is a promotion. Just think about that. Where are you on the timeline? How many here are at least halfway? How many are like three quarters of the way? That would put you in your 60s. How many are nine-tenths of the way? That would put you in your 70s. All right. So that just gives us a perspective. I want you to think about. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Why does it say that? Because that's wisdom. And yet we live like this is all there is. And... Uh, Oh, no, someone else just died. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, they've vanished now. They're, they are no more. No, that's not it. The Bible is very, very clear in the Revelation. Okay, so you kind of got about where you are. If you got 10 or 20 years left, what are you going to do with them? How are you going to invest them? Most people live almost totally for themselves. And you know what? That's, that's the flip side of what God wants, this, wants us to do for the kingdom. Because the kingdom is a kingdom of love where we learn to be unselfish and we learn to care about other people. We care about ourselves and we care about others. What's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 37 says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor, and love yourself. Now here's a big problem. Many, many people don't love themselves. If you don't love yourself, you're going to struggle to love others. It's really, really important, friends, that inward journey. And so make an appointment with these guys. Where, raise your hands again. And, um, and, and go get some inner healing or sanctification for a theological word where you become more and more like Jesus because we need to be otherly. But I want you to think about this now. Where do you think the earth is on God's timeline? Because, see, this whole thing is going somewhere rapidly. Gosh, you're quiet in Manitoba. <laughs> Somebody cheer and say, yay, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're almost home. Come on. Woo Where do you think we are on God's timeline, friends?
Huh? Nine-tenths at least, right? I believe we're coming up on the time of the end rapidly. What do I base that on? I base it primarily on three scriptures uh, that sort of help us to adjust the clock and give us a bit of a reading where we are. Bear in mind, no one knows the day or the hour, so be careful of that where somebody gives you exact figures and everything. Wait a minute. Jesus said, I don't even know the the date. It's kind of hidden in the Father's heart. But there's three things that we need to be aware of. Number one is the fact that Israel now is a nation today. So why is that significant? Well, the angel Gabriel gave a prophecy to the prophet Daniel back in in Daniel chapter 9 and and told him exactly when Jesus would come as king. And I mean, do you know that the Bible is absolutely the word of God? Have you proven it for yourself? I mean, I know it's the thing to do to when the pastor says something like that, you agree with that. But how many of you have taken the time to prove that to yourself? I mean, just really check it out. How are we going to do that? You can prove the Bible if you do some homework. You can prove it historically. You can prove it prophetically. You you can prove it archaeologically. And you can prove it experientially. And it's just every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, Jesus said this, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one letter of the law to fail. And I used to think he was probably, that was hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point. But I don't think that anymore. I think he meant that exactly because I'm just kind of blown away with the Bible now. The Lord... um, spoke to me a few years ago and said, I want you to strengthen your faith in the word of God. And I went, what? I totally believe the word of God. So he said it again. I want you to strengthen your faith in the word of God. So I started digging in. I'm I'm listening to Ravi Zacharias, and I'm listening to this guy and that guy and Chuck Missler. I really like Chuck Missler. He's just so brilliant with it all. But anyway... It was amazing to me that all things were in there. But did did you know that there was, in, in, in 1895, the head of Scotland Yard uh, published a book that was called The Coming Prince. And then there he unpacked the prophecy of Gabriel through Daniel and showed that from the going forth of the commandment of King Artaxerxes to the building of the city of Jerusalem, when that command went out, to the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, was exactly to the day, not even the same year, right to the day when he walked, when he rode into Jerusalem. That's a pretty accurate word, isn't it? How could somebody prophesy over? Uh, 350 years and get it accurate right to the day. See, God knows the end before the beginning. He knows the future 
He knows all about you and your little life and everything about you. And he's hoping that you're going to want to and choose to bring your life into line with his culture, the kingdom of love and the kingdom of heaven. How many want to do that? So start to think of yourselves as more and more like Christ. We want to move into this. Wigglesworth prophesied that the last move of God would be a, a move of the word and of the spirit together. And so I'm a little bit concerned that people really don't read their Bibles much anymore. I don't know about you, probably everybody here does, but just lots of people just are happy to just pick a verse here and a verse there, just kind of like it's a smorgasbord. And the problem with that is it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to skew your understanding of what God's saying because you'll pick out all the, the love me verses and you'll leave out all the get it together verses. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so the love of God wants you to get it together and he wants to help you and, you know, it's not performance-based, but when you see his love drawing you in, how many want to do better over the next little while? So go after that heart stuff. And uh, that will affect the way that you pray and worship and also the way that you share and witness. Anyway, I started to say three things. The first thing is Israel is a nation again. It is prophesied many places in the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, the Lord says, I will once again gather Israel from the nations, from the four corners of the earth, and I'll gather them for the second time. The first time was Babylon. The second time was um, in our world today. And they officially became a nation in 1948. And we know the political unrest there. And what about the Palestinians? And, and we really care about them. But at the end of the day, they're just like we are. They're, they're the nations. They're Gentiles. And God, for whatever reason, chose Abraham and, and Isaac and those descendants to be a representative of his on earth. And you might think, why them? But I'm, I'm kind of going, well, thankfully, it wasn't me. <laughs> because they've been an example of, okay, what happens when you serve him faithfully, but what happens when you, when you go away from him faithfully? And oh, my goodness, they've had trouble upon trouble upon trouble. But he said, I'm going to gather you in the end times, and I'm not going to do it because you deserve it, because you don't. I'm doing it because I made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, etc. And so that happened. I was a little boy, and Israel became a nation in May of 1948. Contrary to everything all the theologians were saying, that it would never happen, and they were all full of replacement theology. No, no, all those prophecies refer to the church now. And, of course, some of them have a double reference, and some of them do also refer to the church, but they refer primarily to Israel. All right? 
And when you read Ezekiel 37, it's a passage you're all familiar with, you know, the valley of dry bones. Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. <laughs> and the prophet is asked the question, can these bones live? What do you do? He's like, Ive, God, only you would know. Prophesy to them, tell them to come together. And those bones began to come together and they stood up and there's still no breath in them, but they're, they're there. And uh, he says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And then Jesus starts talking about the fig tree, which is a type of Israel, a symbol of Israel. Remember Jesus, uh, his second last time going into Jerusalem, uh, it says he was hungry, he saw a fig tree, so he went over to the fig tree and he's looking for a fig and there's nothing but leaves. How many read that story? How many read your Bibles? You read that story? What did you make of that story? I mean, I first read that, I went, what? He cursed the fig tree? It seems out of character for Jesus, doesn't it? But then when you understand prophetic symbolism, you're going to realize, wait a minute, that tree is a type of Israel. He came to Israel looking for fruit. There was no fruit, nothing but leaves. So he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And they carried on. Well, the next day, Peter's like, whoa, the fig tree, Lord, you cursed it. Dried up to the roots. And he kind of brushed it off. He said, yeah, I know. Just ask in faith and God will do stuff for you too. You will move mountains and things. But that was a symbolic type. The fig tree withered. But then in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, he's, he's saying, but when you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, you know that summer's coming. You know that it's living again. So you, when you see these things happening, you know, it's a heads up time. And then he said this, this generation will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. Now, he couldn't have meant the group that was standing there 2,000 years ago hearing him. It therefore, must be the group that sees the fig tree putting forth its leaves. They won't pass away till all be fulfilled. How many were alive in 1948? Raise your hand excitedly. Hey. Most of you are going to still be here when it all winds up. Isn't that good news? According to that. And then he goes on to say in, uh, in, in Luke 21 that Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles, the nations, until the time of the nations is fulfilled. And Jerusalem has been a Jewish city now since 1967, the Six-Day War. How many were alive in 1967? I was in Bible school, and I knew about the war in Israel. I was glued to the TV, and I was not prepared for a six-day war. Whoever had a six-day war? 
You know, the World War I and World War II, they last years and years. Three, four, five years. But this is six days, and they took all the territory. They took the Golan Heights. They took uh, the, the Sinai. They took Gaza. And they took the old city of Jerusalem without any damage, amazingly. And Jesus prophesied it. Jerusalem will be occupied by the nations until, say until to your friend. Until what? Until the times of the nations running the show are fulfilled. Have you ever noticed how much chaos there is out there since uh, 1967? Whew. My goodness. And then one final one in, in Matthew 24. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Do you know the gospel has pretty much gone to every nation on earth? You'll catch the fires got a second church plant starting in Pakistan. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's going to the nations. You don't have to smuggle Bibles into, into Iran anymore. They just download them on their phone. You just go to a website. Download your Bible in Farsi, and away you go. Just like that. Same with Russia, same with, I don't know, any restricted country. China. It's incredible. Do you know there's hot spots of revival? China's been in revival for like 50 years. 30,000 per day coming to Jesus in China for 30 years. It's amazing. I was just in Taiwan, and they're very much in touch with it. And they're telling me, John, you got to go to mainland China. I've never been there. Oh, you got to go. I'm like, I don't think so. I, I think they're doing real good on their own the way they are. Let's, let's not mess with them. <laughs> but anyway, Iran of all places, it's so on fire for Jesus. People are getting it. Hey, we don't want a violent religion. We want, where's the God of love and joy and peace? We want him to be our God. In Toronto, we have a bunch of Iranians. They're all pretty much young people. And um, I had them all around me a couple of months ago. I mean, call, call those guys around me. I just want to see them and ask them how they're doing and everything else. So I said to them, hey, about a year ago, you were all Muslim, pretty much. Um, and people will tell you, hey, Islam, Christianity, kind of similar, same God, same, same kind of beliefs, this, that, and the other. You guys were, where Islam? What, what do you think? What, what's the difference? What do, you, what do you think? So they had a little talk among themselves in, in, in Persian, you know, and then... And they came back to me. We know what it is. Now, 
We have peace. I said, so you never had peace before? He said, no, we were always angry. We're angry about everything. We're angry at you. We're angry at them. We're angry at everything. Now we have peace. I'm like, yeah, come on. (laughs) Prince of Peace. He's come and made a difference. And he's taken them from glory to glory to glory. Isn't that great? Well, see, all of this is going somewhere, friends. It's going to the time when he pulls it all together for a big wrap-up. What's that going to look like? uh, I just think Jesus is absolutely incredible. Um, I wanted to refer to a passage in Luke. I think it's 19. Parable of the minas or, or the pounds, it says in the King James. And look at this story. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Okay, so this is a parable. Why? Because he's near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And so the Jewish people of this day were looking for a Messiah right then and there who's going to deliver them from the Romans. And they didn't know that there was going to be a a waiting period so that you and I could come in. How many are happy about that? We made the Jews wait for their king so that we could get in on it. Hallelujah. And that's one of the last questions in Acts chapter 1. Lord, will you at this time restore, now that you've died, now that you're resurrected, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What did he say? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that God has kind of kept in in his own authority. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be witnesses unto me. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria unto the ends of the earth all the way to Winnipeg, Manitoba and Auckland, New Zealand. And they must have gone, what? I want you to think about how impossible that must have looked. Because here they are, a little handful of Jewish people, but they're a sect of Judaism now because they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And most, most, most of them, or half of them, did not. But they did, so they're marginalized now. Isn't it funny how when you grab hold of the truth of something, that there's, there's this group of people that disagrees with you so strongly that they're, they're willing to separate from you. Don't you find that amazing? I'm still shaking my head, but we had such a wonderful outpouring of love and power in Toronto, and so many people didn't like it. Oh my gosh! I had a, I had a a, a woman in the meetings in uh, Abbotsford uh, just last Friday, 
Her name is Claudia. And I met her one other time, but she emailed me and said, John, I, I so want to meet with you. Uh, I heard about this like 22 years ago, and my pastor told me I have nothing to do with that. That's strange fire, not God at all. And she said, then I heard Bill Johnson raving about Toronto, and I realized, oh my gosh, I've been wrong about this all this time. And I just wanted to say hi and I'm sorry and all that kind of thing. Anyway, she came, she took a class at our school in Toronto and then she's out at the meeting in Abbotsford, drove an hour from where she lives or whatever, and came along and just got wonderfully filled with the Holy Spirit again. But she, she's lamenting that she missed it all that time. Can you imagine if somebody lied to you and frightened you away and said none of it was God. And that was happening in Jesus' day. He's not the Messiah. He's not the one to follow. Have nothing to do with it. And so, but there's this little group that are on board. And Jesus tells them, you guys are going to take this message to the entire world. The whole world is going to hear the message of the kingdom. And the whole world is pagan. How are you going to convert pagan Rome and Greece and India and China and Africa and, 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 and? What a task. Imagine if you told Caesar, I have a word for you. In about 250, 300 years, your whole empire will turn away from the gods of Greece and Rome, including worshiping you, and they will worship the Jewish God. What would he have thought of that? Not very likely. Will someone take him out and remove his head for me? That kind of thing. It's just so unlikely. Why? Because their religion is embedded in everything, in their politics, in their, in their school system, in their family and their culture and their villages everywhere. It's embedded in there. What kind of shakeup is going to come to cause to cause them to move away from false religion and all of the mess of immorality and sexuality that goes with it and violence and turn to holiness and worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he's revealed to us through Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? Tell me somebody. Come on, all you wonderful, godly, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost people. How's that going to happen? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Tell somebody the Holy Spirit. That's how that's going to be the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. And boom! And it's a new day. You see, because people wake up and find out that their God works. When they pray for people, people get healed. Oh my goodness, really? It works. He answers prayer. He changes things. Think about, think about what Jesus did. I love this. Listen, I'm gonna, I want to get you all ready for the wave of heaven that's about to hit. 
Say when. I don't know, but soon. <laughs> Maybe January. We got 25 years coming up. We're celebrating 25 years of this outpouring. And you know, I like, you can, you can work all kinds of stuff with numbers, you know. Like 25 is five times five, grace times grace. That'd be a perfect year to have it, wouldn't it? What does it take to get Winnipeg people excited? <laughs> See, you can't, you can't come along after, after a while and, and rev us up. Right. Come on, hype, let me hype you up, everybody. Come on, come on. Let's go, come on. Say something, shout, hallelujah, whatever. No, 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 that's, that's not what we want. What we want is to take a hold of reality. Where are we on the timeline of God? Where is this move that's so promised? And what's, what's going to happen? I mean, we are at the brink of it because Israel's been a nation for 70 years. That's kind of a significant number. 70 is the number of completion. Some of you are nodding your head. Who did not know that? Yeah, some of you didn't know that. Israel was captive in Babylon for 70 years, and when 70 years was up, the king gave an order, and they, and they came back home. 70 years. The, the times and seasons are important with God. Jerusalem's been Jewish city for 50 years, very significant number. What's significant about 50? Jubilee. It's seven times seven plus the next year, the, be, the new beginning is a jubilee year, 50. The Feast of Pentecost means what? 50 days. 50 days after Easter was when the Holy Spirit came and fell. And so Jesus is speaking this parable to them because um, they thought the kingdom was coming immediately. They want their king right now. They want to be free from the Romans right now. They didn't know that there was a whole division coming. Those of you who want to serve me and, the, and this new revelation, come with me. The rest of you are appointed for destruction. And I don't know if you've ever taken time to read the writings of Josephus as he wrote out the history of the destruction of Jerusalem. I read that whole account to Carol, and we just wept through the thing. Oh, my gosh. Like a million died. Unnecessarily. And they're all fighting among themselves. When the Romans are, the Roman legions are outside. I mean, just tragic what happened. Anyway. He says this, therefore, a certain nobleman... This is referring to himself now. Went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Tell somebody near you, Jesus is coming back. John chapter 14, what did he say? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That, where I am, there you may be also. Where is he, by the way? 
How many want to go? So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minus, or ten bundles of money. A minus about three months' pay. And uh, he said to them, do business until I return. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what many, many Jewish people did. Away with him, crucify him. We'll not have that man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. So now here's the deal. You and I have been given an investment in the kingdom of God. You got a good dose of heaven hidden away in your heart. And he said, I want you to go out and share that and invest it. What's that look like? Well, it looks like those three journeys. You're investing in yourself to be more like him. Think about this for a minute. Jesus wants you for his bride. Now, what kind of a woman are you? <laughs> a working girl? or a selfish girl, or self-centered, or what's in it for me? Or have you just absolutely fallen in love with him? And you learn, Lord, Lord, if there's anything in me that is not right, that's displeasing, can we have an appointment with these guys and we'll go and see if they can figure it out, and find it out? Because I want to confess it and get rid of it. I don't want to keep anything in there that's going to hinder my relationship with you. See, it's puzzling to me why we are so resistant to inner healing. But I was too. And Carol got going in it, and, and I'm like, oh, brother, I'm, I, I don't even know if I believe in this. <laughs> and finally I thought, well, she's working with all these Problem people, they, they probably need it, so go for it. But I'm good. And, uh, but I wasn't good. And she prevailed against me. And so I went and took the Sanford's uh, teaching. And, and I found out that the beginning, the crack was a fear of intimacy. You know, just keep stuff close. Don't let people know your, your stuff, your secrets, because they'll just use it against you. So you become a, more of a secretive person, a more of a suspicious person. 
and all that kind of stuff. And that's minor. They're people that are full of hurt, anger, shame, pain, secret sin, all kinds of stuff that they're ashamed of. And that's really the main reason they don't want inner healing because they don't want anyone to find out how deep it is. Anyway, I'm telling you, once you get free, you can talk about it, share about it, help other people with it. It's just so good to be free, friends. That's part of the investment. You invest in yourself. Then you invest in heaven. You pray, you worship, you love him, and you learn to love him with abandonment. And you don't have an agenda. Here's my prayer list. Many of you have heard me say this before, but when Carol and I were really pressing in uh, before the revival broke out, I one time I, I just set my prayer list aside. You know your prayer list, Lord. We need a new house. We need, we need to buy a house here. We need a, a better car. We need more money. We need more people in the church. We need this. We need that and the other. And you have the things you're praying about. And I just set that aside. I said, God, I'm so sorry about this prayer list. I, I don't care about all that. I just want to be with you. I want to fall in love with you. I want to get to know you. And he spoke to me in that moment. And he said, do you know, John, many of my people want to marry me for my money. And that just broke my heart. I thought, wow, I don't want to be one of those people, Lord. I want to genuinely be in love with you. Help me to find that place. <coughs> of course, then you need to take the message out. But you've got to have the right motivation. It can't be that those people are your project. Because they'll, they'll pick up on that right away. Huh. You're just trying to convert me to your cult, group, whatever. See, they need to know that, no, no, you really care about them. There's no strings attached. You're not feeling well? Let me pray for you. Just receive this, a free gift of his love. And people are like, wow, I feel better. How did you do that? Ah, oh, well, that was Jesus on the outside. Would you like him on the inside? <laughs> yes, I would. Oh, just say this little prayer with me. It's amazing. What's going on? The world out there is getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. The Christian world is getting uh, somewhat disillusioned as they watch leader after leader fall away into sin and they watch squabble after political squabble carry on in their churches. And they wonder, who can you really trust? What's the issue? What's the issue? Sanctification in the heart. It's an internal problem. I was with our friends in Abbotsford. They're telling me story after story of 
leaders that have fallen into sin. And, and one guy had a big church, very charismatic guy, wonderful leader. Everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to follow him. And it turns out, like, over the years, he'd, he'd had, like, 40 or more uh, affairs with other women that he'd manipulated and coerced into sleeping with him. It just devastated that whole group. What's the issue? Tell somebody next to you, it's their heart. Their heart is the problem. You see, there, there, there's a little boy in there that's looking for love in all the wrong places, and yet he's trying to serve God as best he can. And pretty soon he's got this conflict, and he slips and falls into sin, and the Lord doesn't jerk the anointing right away, kind of like Samson. So he carries on, carries on, and he begins to deceive himself and think, maybe God doesn't really mind after all. After all, David had a bunch of wives and Solomon had a lot more and maybe it's okay. The next thing you know, he is deceived. It's funny thing about deception, you're usually the last one to know. <laughs> but if he'd only gone and got some help and learned to be transparent, oh my goodness. He could have avoided all of that because he'll never be in ministry again. And that was 20 years ago when that happened. I don't, I'm just sick of those stories. I don't know about you. But then the other part of it is, I'm like, Lord, please, I don't want that to happen to me. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. What do we do? We, we do regular checkups. We look in the mirror and say, how's my integrity? Am I true to him or am I living a lie? And, you know, there's four boxes I like myself and our leaders to tick. Character, competency, you need to be good at what you do, motive, and then history, track record. What have you done in the last 10 years? See, he's going to ask you all these questions. How many want to stand before Jesus tomorrow? And have him look deep into your eyes and say, what have you done in the last 10 years? You know, he's the, he's the lion and the lamb. Anyway, let me finish the text because I've got an airplane to catch here and we'll be, uh, it's already 12 o'clock trip. Okay. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. Now I want you to understand something. Why do you think you go through the problems and the testings that you're going through in life? Huh? Prepared for what? Huh? Yeah, for Jesus. You see, 
you're on an advanced course of leadership. How many want Joseph's anointing? Hands up high. Okay, how do you get Joseph's anointing? You go through what Joseph went through. He's sold by his family who wanted to kill him but settled for selling him. He ends up in Potiphar's house, so okay, it could have been, could have been worse. And he keeps his heart right. He passes the test. Can you imagine being sold as a slave? You're 17 years old. How old is he? 13. Four years, your family sells you as a slave to a foreign country. They sold you to Russia. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? Can you imagine how angry he would be and how upset and brokenhearted? But that's what happened to him. But Joseph worked through all that and got his heart right. So now he's serving. He's doing such a good job that they promote him to be in charge of the whole house. Now the lady of the house goes for him again and again. And he's like, no way. I, I couldn't do that to, to my master because that would be wrong. And it would be dishonoring to him and, and so on and so on. So finally, she falsely accuses him with one of those Me Too cries. <laughs> and it wasn't true. And I think Potiphar kind of suspected, because normally you would die for that, wouldn't you think? He was the captain of the army, and that was the head of the royal guard. And you messed with his wife. I think you would die. But he knew, oh, I don't think Joseph did that. But he's got a safe face, so I'll put him in jail. And he's, he's not in jail just overnight or anything. He's there for like 13 or 14 years. And, the, and, and he worked through that to the point where now he's running the prison. And his anointing is still on him. A uh, little aside, you know, our friend Andrew Brunson was in prison in Turkey. How many are following that story? And Andrew is our Middle East coordinator for Partners in Harvest. And we've done many conferences and schools over there in Turkey and this and that and the other with him. He was a fine, outstanding Presbyterian minister. Then he got messed up with us. <laughs> and they, they confiscated his building and everything else. He said, it's okay, it's all worth it. Start it again. And then out of the blue, Turkey grabbed him, put him in jail, and started blaming him as one of the perpetrators in that revolt that they had. And they put him in a cell that was built for seven people. And there's 22 of them in there. And he's the only Christian. And the rest are serious Muslims. And because he's a Christian, he's just bad luck to the max for all of them. They want nothing to do with him. They don't want to talk to him. They don't want to go near him. And he had a very hard time. So last July, he's finally released under house arrest. Long story there, but anyway, he should have been released. But anyway, they kept him 
with an ankle bracelet that rests at home. So now I can phone him on the phone. Andrew, oh, man, it's so good to talk to you. This is great. Praise God. You're at home at least. And right away he's like, John, I just need to say, um, I'm, 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 he's trying to say I'm not any kind of a hero. He said, John, I didn't do well in prison. I really almost had a nervous breakdown. I was so distraught. I was so distressed. I was frustrated. God, where are you? What have I done to put me in here? This and that and the other. And he said, I, if Noreen would come weekly almost and talk to me through the glass. And that was my, I was barely holding on. I was failing. He said, John, I needed the second year. I'm like, oh, Andrew, come on. We love you, man. You're just, you're golden. You're incredible. And he says, no, no, I needed the second year because I came out the other end. I, I, I realized, all right, if this is my lot in life, then I'm going to die in the arms of Jesus. I'm not going to die bitter and angry. I'm not going to fail this ultimate test. I'm just going to hang on to him. And if this is the end, then this is it. God bless Donald Trump and Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo and, and uh, ACLJ and all those guys, lawyers, etc., that worked relentlessly to get him out. But Jesus got him out. He's out now. And he's smiling again. But he passed the test. See, you invest what you have been given and you hang on and you pass the test. See, all this is an advanced university course in leadership, preparing you for the millennial age that's about to come. And you invest what has been given unto you in your heart and you multiply uh, that money, so to speak, the kingdom deposit that's been put into you. You multiply it so you can say, hey, you gave me, you gave me one minor here, but there's, I've made ten. The next guy came along and said, well, you gave me one and I multiplied it and I have five more. Same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you're faithful over a little. Be in charge of five cities. So, what cities do you want to be in charge of in the millennial kingdom? Anybody want Winnipeg? I said, give me Toronto, Lord. I will sort that place out for you. <laughs> totally sort it out. Anyway, we'll see. Then the third guy comes. Master, here's your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you are an austere or a hard man. You collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. Is that true?
Is it true? It's a lie, isn't it? It depends what end of his judgment you're on, but basically, for believers, that's not true. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I mean, Jesus comes into our heart and teaches us the kingdom way and the, the way of love. And, and it's not about this life. It's about getting ready for the next life. And come on, let's flow with the kingdom. Let's learn to love him and love one another and love ourselves, all of that. And spread that around. How is that hard? It's only hard if you're stubborn and you dig in your heels and you're like, I'm not budging. And this guy, because he had a wrong understanding of what the Lord is like, he's afraid to take any chances and, and invest and take any risk. So he buries it. And he says, here you go. I kept it safe for you. Look at the response. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. So you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten. And they said, Master, yes, he's got ten already. For I say to you, to everyone who has, uh, more will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But then look at verse 27. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. All those angry Jews and all those people who said, I don't want any king reigning over me. I'm my own person. I do what I want to do. You know what happens to them? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, says, bring them and slay them in front of me. See, he's no nonsense. He's not just a lamb. He's a lion. How many have seen... Aslan and uh, Narnia and all that, right? He's, he's a lion, too. He knows how to rule. He's a leader. He knows how to lead. And rebellion and his kingdom will not be tolerated. You might as well know. One of our problems is we're so used to democracy that we have a say about everything. And even when you're given a perfect king, there are people who still find fault with that. My goodness. Friends, we are fast-tracking toward the days when the king returns. And there's a harvest that's coming um, before that happens. And I was reading it to the leaders here last night because it's just really stood out to me in the last little while. But Revelation 14, 14 is that scripture. And there's much more to it, but I'm going to end with that. But you see, one like the Son of Man sitting on a cloud, 
And he's got a sickle in his hand. Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Tell the person next to you the earth was reaped. Now if you keep reading, you see there's another harvest after that, the grape harvest, which is the way it works in Israel. The wheat first, then the grapes. And that's a judgment harvest. And so that's serious stuff. But the point for us here is there, it's harvest time just about on us. Um, my daughter Lori does this thing that she calls Spirit Cafe, where they're reaching out to New Agers all the time. And so they use New Age terminology. Hey, come in for a free reading. And you get them in there and say, God's got something for you, and prophesy over them and all this and that. So they went into a New Age fair in Birmingham, England, a couple of weeks ago. A team from Abbotsford went and different ones. There was eight or nine churches joined her with their teams, and they went in, and they, they had a 1,000 appointments of New Agers in a New Age fair, and out of that 1,000, 392 of them gave their lives to Jesus. I know. And they're like, I'm telling you, the world out there is, is ready. They're looking for something that works. They're looking for something that's meaningful. And many of them, they get a simple word like God says to tell you he loves you, and people start crying. Amazing, isn't it? Friends, the earth is about to be reaped. When uh, 94 kicked off, we were over our heads with it. Randy and I, we didn't know what to do. It was just bewildering. There were piles of people and power and all kinds of stuff was going on. And in the midst of that, David Roos prophesied and said, this is not it. This is merely seed being produced that will blow to the ends of the earth. And that seed will grow up and become the mightiest harvest the world has ever seen. And that was 25 years ago when David gave that word. Whew. How many want to join in on something like that? See, three journeys. You can't just be all about you all the time. You've got to move off that. You've got to worship him and love him. But then you've got to start your mission in life. You've got to reach out to other people. That's where all the kick is. That's where all the fun is, really. But it, it's got to come from a healthy place in the heart. This program of God is not a failed experiment. It's going to come in the fullness of time when he says now. And I'm expecting momentarily that the angel's going to come out of the temple and tell him the crop is ready. Go for it. Reap it. And you know what? Harvest doesn't take long. The, what, takes, what takes the time is 
is getting the workers organized and then letting the grain grow. In the world 2,000 years ago, all they had was sort of Roman ships and Roman roads and, and trying to get around with all of that and deliver handwritten mail. When 94 hit us, it was a bit better. We had telephones. I mean, they were wired, hardwired to the wall, but nevertheless, we had phones, we had fax machines. Remember, you guys remember fax machines? And everything took off. And so Randy and I were on the phone. We're faxing friends. I remember I got a fax from a friend that I met in Argentina, Roger Mitchell. And he, he wrote, like on a, he, just in writing, John, I hear something's going on in your church. What's happening? I wrote back on the same paper, Roger, God is moving in power. Get over here, ASAP. Sent it back into the facts. He got it in England and read that and fell over under the power. <laughs> I mean, it was so contagious. It was ridiculous. It was just amazing. And David Roos is saying, this is nothing. The Holy Spirit threw him. This is nothing. What kind of a wind is about to blow, friends, that's going to harvest the whole earth? So I want you to think how different it is today. Today, everybody's got live stream. Is that streaming? Just recorded. You go to Toronto's live streaming. You can go on after and watch it later. I mean, what we had in 94, well, we didn't have in 94. By about 96, we had about 100 video cassette recorders all lined up. We take the tape from the evening and they put it in the master and they put all these other ones in there and they push record and three hours later they'd have the whole service. Right? So they take all those out and put a whole bunch of new ones in and record and label all the ones they just got out. And by the morning they'd have about a thousand cassette tapes and boom, people would buy them and go back home to Germany or England or wherever they were from. And they'd get in their little living room, watch those videos and get blasted right there in their living room. Amazing. We had one guy got that gold tooth video from years ago. And he was going all over Nova Scotia showing that video. People were getting gold teeth everywhere just watching it. Amazing. Imagine today when it's live. You know, when we first got... Um, I went to South Africa and those guys had a live audio feed because they were techie, radio, young guys and everything over there. And so I'm like, wow, I've got to have that. And he said, no, no, wait and get the video. I said, you can get video? He said, yeah. I forget what it was called. It was postage size picture. And so we got that up there in this, in this thing that was buffer, buffering and on and on. But we could watch Toronto Live about that big a picture. 
It was like, wow, it's live. <laughs> and now look, live stream video coming from everywhere. We do it, Bethel's doing it. I mean, everybody's doing it. You can just get it. Can you imagine what happens when the Holy Spirit goes kaboom again? It's going to go to the whole earth. I'm telling you, friends, he is going for the harvest. The time has been raising up harvesters. Turn to your friend and say, that's you. And say it back to them, yes, and that's you. You're going to be involved in this. What's your role? I don't know. Just get up and say, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will fall on the room. I mean, you get a major part. You get one word to say. I'll tell you it's coming. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for this great church. The testing that we go through, friends, is really just qualifying you to be a leader in what's coming, provided you choose to pass the test. Somebody said, well, there's one thing about God, you never fail the test with God, you just keep retaking the test until you pass. <laughs> so there's that aspect. But he's looking for some, for some fruitfulness from you. You know, not because you're striving for approval, but just that out of the love and the relationship in your heart, you are producing good fruit. Yeah? Hold your hands up to him and say, oh, Lord, I really, really want to get close to you. I repent of pride and stubbornness. I want to get my own heart healed. And Lord, I want to fall deeper in love with you than I've ever been. I want to be praying and loving you and worshiping you like never before. But also, Lord, I want, a, I want a mission. I want an outreach. Will you begin to put people in my way that I can pray over and I can do things with? And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs>